This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, I'm Jim Mallard, host of The Mallard Report. On The Mauer Report, along with my guest, we will have a conversation where we will share thoughts and opinions. For more information, my bio, past shows, social media links, and so much more, visit Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D dot com. And thanks for listening. Take a moment. Welcome, everybody, wherever you're listening, however you're listening to the Mallard Report. But before we begin, I want to send you over to veritiesapparel.com. A big store-wide sale over there right now. Everything's at least 10% off. Some stuff is upwards of 40% off. Okay. That's veritiesapparel slash veritiesapparel.com slash Mallard. Get an extra little bonus in there. And uh, on Verity's social media this afternoon, Aaron posted some cards of conspiracy. Now, I want you to go all over and check them out. And if you can find my stupid answer on one of the social medias, let me know which one it was. We'll increase the fun. But go over and answer it because it was it was fun. Even though, well, I'm not good at card games apparently. But anyways, enough about my misfortunate mistake. Uh, my guest tonight is John... Vivanco. Vivanco. <sighs> Thank you, sir. How are you doing tonight, John? <laughs> Doing well. <laughs> Better than me, apparently. I just stopped that in my tracks. I'm like, what was that again? Yeah, uh, no, it's no biggie. You're the author of Time Before the Secret Words on the Path of Remote Viewing, High Strangeness, and Zen. Yep, that's right. When, when did that – give me this, the quick – I mean, we've got a bunch of other remote viewing questions and all that other stuff, but you can give me a little bit about the book here. Oh, yeah. I mean, um, that book really – it came out of – well, it starts in my early childhood, somewhat of a memoir, but really leads into my experiences with working in a, a civilian remote viewing think tank um, and all the really bizarre intrigue around that, as well as high strangeness events that would inevitably occur because, um, you know, when you remote view odd things, things that have, um, well, let's just say aliens, for instance, they have a tendency to take notice, and that causes a lot of strange situations that occur. Um, so it, it leads into all that type of stuff. It talks a bit about some of the work we did for intelligence and counterterror work uh, for the FBI. Um, ultimately, though, the, the core of the book is it it begins when i was a child um i think i was around 3 years old and i i began to uh, understand how to think you know we go through this process when we're that age around that age where our thoughts start to occur within our brain before that we're just experiencing the moment and i remember the moment i used to call them my secret words and the strangest thing had happened around that time i didn't think it was strange then uh but this this Ban would show up, and he would tell me to remember 
the moment uh, and the time before I created these words. And so it's my journey, ultimately, in trying to understand uh, what is before words, you know, what is that silence, the, the root of creativity. And that led me, you know, into a Zen monastery where I lived many years and uh, ran a remote viewing think tank and, you know, this, this, this whole process of, of knowing the self. So at what point, I mean, at what point did it transition from strangeness and weird things in your life to actually being a remote viewer? Well, that's the, you know, that's the thing is that I, you know, I had, when I was a child, I had these um, things that would come to my window and uh, I can, I could see them. I would wake up, I would see them come to the window. They would have big heads and big eyes and I would struggle with them. Eventually they would pull me out of the window. I'd pass out. I'd go out the window and then wake up in the field below my house and have to make, make my way back into the house, you know, and, and that was a lot of strangeness. And I did not know what that meant until later on. And, you know, it goes into the typical, what people talk about in the abduction scenarios. And, you know, I forgot about all that stuff. I didn't, didn't mess with it at all. And, um, I was just an art student. I was going to art school and remote viewing became declassified, you know, in around 1995. And, you know, I heard that word psychic spy, you know, this this technology, right, to, to create psychic spies. And I thought, wow, this is crazy. Now, I never thought of myself as being psychic to any degree. You know, I meditated. Um, you know, I did that stuff. I was open to it. But, you know, I think like everybody else, it's one of those things where it, it, I think it probably happened to me because there were a couple times when I um, knew who was going to call before the phone rang. You know, it's that thing that we all kind of have. And so when I heard that, that there was some kind of technology, all you got to do is say technology, and I'm on it, right? So I found out all about it, how to do it. So I trained myself at first, and then I got formal training. And the thing with me was that I was um, I was a fine artist, and so I I was taught to basically perceive how light falls on a surface, right? And that is basically describing things in a very physical way. I come to find out that most people don't describe things in a physical way in remote viewing. They use a lot of metaphor and simile and concepts and ideas to get across what they're remote viewing. But for me, it's a very like visceral, tactile experience where it's closer to this one-to-one -one ratio of, of um, seeing it to a physical representation of it. Uh, so that, I found out, is extremely valuable in the world of remote viewing. So I got pulled into a think tank, a civilian think tank, and paid as a professional remote viewer. And that is really when that high strangeness began, uh, ultimately when that began. Um, we were, you know, we were working with corporations because, you know, we think about at that time, remote viewing is just declassified. And, um, for instance, Sony, um, Sony Entertainment, they have a product development division, right? And they, there was an article that came out that said they were working with remote viewers to see if they can patent future technology. Now, this article came out in major uh, newspapers, uh, uh, internet websites, um, all across the world. So you had all these CEOs take notice of that, 
And since there was a tight, small, little funnel into the world of remote viewing and very few people doing it, we got, you know, a lot of hits from these people wanting to have us remote view future technology before them because, you know, for them because, you know, they don't want to be left in the, in the dust. And so, you know, that time was really interesting. And it was not only on that side, but, you know, since remote viewing came out, it was like, you know, what sort of mysteries can we uncover? What sort of conspiracies can we figure out? Are UFOs and aliens, are they real things? Are they cryptids? Are they real? You know, what's on Mars? What's on the moon? So it's this just this mad rush to remote view all the mysteries that, you know, people had, you know, made assumptions about. And now, you know, you have this methodology where you can potentially uh, get the real answer to things. So, so we, you know, when you remote view a lot of that stuff, when you remote view alien type events, uh, UFO events to find out if they're real or not, what ultimately happens if it's truly something anomalous and there truly is some type of being behind it? Because we do find that a lot of these videos on YouTube or whatever uh, or, or claims that people make are, are fake. They're lies. And we can figure that out with remote viewing. But when there is something anomalous, these beings will – well, they'll quite often take notice of you. And that can turn into something bizarre on your side where you're going to get a visit, uh, sometimes physically, sometimes a mental, very palatable mental intrusion um, so, you know, that just, it, it, it gets really bizarre. It gets really bizarre on that end. And so, you know, we're doing this stuff, right? We do this stuff because it's very interesting. Then on the other side of it, we're working with corporations and we're also working with intelligence because we had handlers in a couple different agencies and then working counter terror for the FBI. So we, you know, we were mixed up to the hundredth degree in just about everything. <laughs> everything. Like <laughs> everything. I'm scribbling notes, like everything from product development or potential product development to government intelligence to the word that always buzzes me. Now, my listeners out there are going to say, here he goes again into this topic. It drives, it probably drives them more nuts than me because this is where it becomes about me instead of them, is meditation. Been working on it. Well, let's see. The show is almost eight years old. So, yeah, eight years now. I've been working on this concept of trying to get my head wrapped around it so I could do it. Do you have any solid advice for me? I mean, I've been asking people, and I've got better about, like, just, you know, eliminating distractions and giving myself the the start of trying to find, I don't want to say inner peace because that seems too cliche, but, right, you know. Well, it's a, just, it's a process. You know, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a process, literally. I mean, I lived in a, a Zen center for about six years, and... We would just sit on a cushion. That's all we would do. <laughs> you know, sometimes we would be sitting there for 10 hours a day, seven days a week. Uh, very structured, very rigid. And you fight with it. You know, your, your thoughts go haywire. We live in our heads, chatting away, monkey mind. You know, it's like a tuning an AM radio. It goes from this to that to this to that. Um, and, and eventually what happens, it's a practice, right? You watch your breath. You sit there. You do it for 10 minutes a day. You start slowly. You watch your breath. Inevitably, you're going to have thoughts. You know, it's, it's just an inevitability. You're going to go into them. You're going to ramble around with them. Then you go, hey, wait, I'm thinking. Let me go back to watching my breath for a little bit more. Let's see if I can pull it off for a, a minute this time, right? <laughs> and it just grows and it expands. 
until finally you can separate from your thoughts and just be in the moment. But it's a process. I mean, you know, it's like turning an aircraft carrier around. How long does it take to make a U-turn with an aircraft carrier? You know, it's a habit pattern. So that thought, uh, the way we think, is a habit pattern. That It's a slow process to turn. But eventually you get there, but you just have to practice. So I asked that. That's kind of a lead question. Can anybody be a remote viewer? Absolutely. Anybody can be a remote viewer. I've been training since the 90s, um, thousands of people, and, and there has not been one person who could not do it. It, it. It's one of those things that's absolutely inherent in us. And remote viewing is not the psychic functioning. So remote viewing, it's a very controlled way to use clairvoyance or ESP. And so really what it is is a, a protocol or a methodology that someone gets trained in in order to perceive those things that are beyond our five senses. And so when you learn remote viewing, you aren't really learning <clears throat> learning how to be psychic. You are learning how to take that kernel of, um, what is it, like the kernel of knowing um, who it is before the phone rings, you know, or knowing uh, what you're, if your kid is in trouble, it's something that we all have. And remote viewing will tap that kernel, right? And it will allow you to expand it within a framework on a very specific question that you're blind to. So the way we work it is that us as remote viewers work blind. We do not know what we're remote viewing beforehand. The only thing that we're given is a random eight-digit number by a person called a tasker, and that number on the tasker side is associated with something we are to remote view. So if I wanted you to remote view the Eiffel Tower current time right now, I would just write that on a piece of paper. I'd assign a random eight-digit number to it, and I would give you that number. And then you would work through this methodology of, uh, of a remote viewing methodology we call controlled remote viewing. And you would produce a lot of information some of it's going to be noise at first. Some of it's going to be random bits of information that don't make any sense at all. And some of it's going to be right on. And it's always going to be low-level information. And <clears throat> we use multiple remote viewers on single questions so that um, one person is an analyst and they can kind of you know corroborate the data between sessions, pick out the pieces that are corroborative in order to build our reports so we can understand what's there. That way we never rely on a single remote viewer who could be on or off during a session because, you know, you can be off in one session and amazingly on in another session. You know, the mechanics of it and and the subtle things that go into a remote viewer having a really good session and a really bad session are a lot of unknowns, so, okay, I've got a, a technical question, I guess. Why eight digits? You know, you could use anything. You could use four digits. You can use one digit. Um, that was born out of the uh, the military and the creation of it. Ingo Swan and Hal Pudoff actually created the remote viewing methodology of CRV, and they decided upon eight digits because it was a little bit closer to the old coordinate style that they used to do, where they would just give a remote viewer a coordinate on Earth uh, or even Mars. 
and have them uh, view what was there on a coordinate. So they just reduced the coordinate a little bit. They figured more or less that um, if you use an eight-digit number, you're not going to get cross-contamination uh, as much um, if you accidentally reuse uh, a sort of a complex number like that. Um, but what you find is that ultimately the tasker, so the tasker in remote viewing whose job is to assign a random number with the tasking, it's going to be pretty isolated in intent because everything is intent. Everything is intent, especially when it comes to remote viewing. It's going to be isolated in intent for that specific session. So, you know, it's just sort of um, something that we all stick to and follow because that's the norm at this point, the random eight digit. But, you know, you could use two digits, four digits, doesn't matter. Well, I could see why you'd want the difference, the bigger string of numbers. Now I've kind of mentioned it, but I had to hear you talk about it because if you use single digit numbers, you're going to be out in a hurry. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Wait, I just did number two. Oh, man. <laughs> number two again. Um, so you you said you were part of a group. Now, if like, is, is there a requirement of how many people this requires or can somebody do this by themselves? No, you can do it by yourself. Absolutely. Um, we, you know, we we work in teams for the aspect of doing projects, um, especially when it comes to operational projects. But um, you can learn how to do remote viewing. And, you know, since we remain blind, um, when we do formal remote viewing, we do want somebody else to task us, right? So you have to have somebody either in the remote, remote viewing community or somebody who you've trained, a friend, um, to task you on things. And one thing that remote viewing does is that it, it really places you, you know, one remote viewing session can last about an hour long, and it really places you in the zone of, of uh, gathering information psychically for such a long period of time that is somewhat abnormal when it comes to uh, those that work in the field of, you know, psychic doing psychic um, methodologies. Uh, and if you're doing two sessions a day, it really hones your skills outside of remote viewing as well. So you can sense things a lot better. Um, now, you know, we don't, oftentimes remote viewers don't actually consider themselves psychic and they only operate in that sort of zone when they're doing a remote viewing session as well. But, you know, I find that it does increase your intuition across the board because of the way that it forces you to dig and dig and dig in a session for such a long period of time. So, uh, having talked to psychic, kind of what I, you know, wheelhouse here, um, they don't, they always tell me they can't read for themselves. So I'm guessing that principle applies to you because you, right? Am I right in saying that? Like, I, if I wanted to know how my, my show turns out in 10 years, I couldn't. Oh no, you can you can absolutely do that. Can I do that for myself? Yeah, if you're tasked blind on it. So for instance, you don't know somebody let's say that somebody has ten taskings for you. Okay. You know, and they're they're there's stuff like YouTube videos, like just to describe, just to get feedback and training, like, you know, um anything like somebody mountain biking in a video to somebody I don't know, dancing, and then slipped in there are more operational type things that you would want to know. Like, you know, how for instance, this would be a good one, how you feel about your show in 10 years, right? Because then you would start describing a subject that's got a lot of emotion, who is, uh, you know, either either happy about it or blank about it or, 
maybe it's just non-existent. You would weed that out within the session. You wouldn't know necessarily that you're viewing yourself because during the session, you may get a hint of it, right? But during the session, um, it's not 100% apparent. So here's an example. I was, you know, this was uh, in training when I was in training. I was given the tasking, now I didn't know it was this, I find out afterwards, to remote view myself five minutes or 15 minutes into this session, right? So I'm remote viewing myself, remote viewing. Now, I started to describe this guy who I thought was an African-American male, and he was he was being chased by the police. Um, it was... He didn't do anything wrong. It was just because of who he was and what he believed. Um, he was basically being harassed, right? So you think about this. At this period of time, we were being harassed um, by a covert agency that was trying to shut us down. So it was reflecting into my session as to how I felt about me at that time, right? And then in the middle of this session, I start doing this process where I, I try to grab visuals or, or shift myself into a kind of a bilocated state uh, in order to go deep into the visual zone. And so I close my eyes and I do this, and I see this mailman. He's just walking down this uh, concrete path. There's some bushes and stuff, and he goes up to a door. He opens the screen door. He opens the slot and shoves the mail through. At that very moment, because I'm viewing in my house, mail comes shooting through the slot in my door. And so I was totally confused, right? Because, you know, I'm remote viewing. I don't know that I'm remote viewing myself, but I have these discarnate things that are occurring in a session, but they all relate to the tasking in the end, right? So... And I didn't even know. I couldn't. I didn't even know that I was remote viewing myself during this session. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so you, I noted to you the show's live, and I've got some listener questions now, so we're going to dive into those. I referenced the, the candle earlier that I wrote, I lit because I was well feeling a little cold. So that kind of plays. Not asking to remote view it. I'm just saying, as as the question relates to that. So that's the example we're going to work with, I guess. Um, if you remote view an object, like I said, so my candle here, what what kind of things are you can are you able to pick up about that? Well, the, you know that's the thing is that um, so we work blind. Typically, we work blind, and we don't usually work front loaded because when you work, we call front loaded knowing what it is we're viewing beforehand, um, and so we're project driven in a sense. So we're not like the regular psychics. Now, if you were to task me on that, possibly we'll get, we would get the candle. Um, there would be aspects of a table. There would be aspects of your house curtains, um, your setup, aspects of it. It would drift off. There would be noise. It would go back and forth uh, between various things and activities that are going on. Um, oftentimes, just viewing an object is completely boring, and they they quit doing that in the research programs uh, back at SRI uh, because you know it just bore the heck out of the psychics. And instead, they started shifting to more outbounder type experiences. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 one of those things where you just get a a whole amalgamation of information. Um, most viewers would probably describe 
the interior and get caught on one thing. There's something called the doorknob effect that occurs uh, occasionally with viewers, and this comes from the military days, where they were tasked with, I think it was high-level discussions between a uh, Russian ambassador and someone else. And unfortunately, there's a very beautiful and ornate doorknob there that the remote viewers got hung up on and just spent all their time describing the doorknob <laughs> as opposed <laughs> to the conversation. <laughs> I, I can appreciate that fully. <laughs> oh, right. It's shiny. Let's go look at it. Yeah. Um, like I said, so the, the, these next, oh goodness, they're keep, I might be, I might be done with my question. I'm just going to read theirs because they're, they're doing great. Um, I don't know how much you know about astral projection, but is that kind of like remote viewing or is this two different things here? Yeah, it's two different things. Um, rem- okay. So remote viewing well, here in my estimation Remote viewing is neither remote nor is it viewing. You're not actually leaving your body uh, to do that. Uh, astral projection is more like projecting your consciousness out, uh, aspect of yourself out. Remote viewing, so what we do is we look inside ourselves. We begin inside ourselves. And so there's nothing remote about it. All sensations come from within ourselves, within the body. And all the visuals, remote viewing is a whole mash, mashup of things. It's it's the five senses, it's subtle movements in the body. You do get visuals, but it's not predominant. You know, there's more of these other things occurring. So there's no real there's no real viewing involved unless you really push yourself in that direction. And the only time that I would say that it would be like astral projection is when you have a bilocation experience. And those are somewhat uncontrollable. Um, they can happen randomly or they can not happen at all. And most, for most people, they don't happen. For most people in remote viewing, they'll spend time just investigating, you know, what's going on in their body and their five senses and, and, and this general state of knowingness and these feelings of overall gestalts of things and jotting all that stuff down. So, then occasionally what happens is that you can have an experience where you sh- you completely you close your eyes and you completely shift into a totally different scene it's as though you're at the table writing stuff down and you're at the location that you're supposed to be remote viewing now, this happened to me once or twice or a hundred times this, this, this happens quite a bit when you do a lot of you know I've done I can't tell you maybe thousands upon thousands upon thousands of sessions uh, for operational and practice and just fun. And one of the most interesting experiences happened when I was, um, we were working with monitors and we were in someone's house. We were in a group of remote viewers and each viewer had a monitor assigned to them. And the monitor's job is to basically keep the viewer on track and basically, you know, stop them from just drooling and falling asleep on their paper because we listen to binaural beats uh, and those tend to put you down into a deeply meditative state. Um, So I'm viewing this thing and I'm describing a a subject in a room that's on fire and the subject's running back and forth. During the session, I started to feel burning sensations on my skin. You know, this is part of remote viewing where you can have these physical reactions to it. 
And then I would jump to this other aspect, this other scene of, of a, another person, a subject we call them, in this metal tube. And they were looking at maps and they were looking through scopes and stuff. And I kept jumping back and forth. And, you know, I wasn't really going anywhere with describing any expansion on describing outside of these two things. So finally, at the end of the session, my, my monitor said, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, I want you to go to the door in the burning house. I want you to open the door and I want you to step outside and I want you to tell me what you see. So I basically stood up. You know, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to act this out. And so I close my eyes, pretend like I open the door and I step outside. At that moment that I opened the door in technicolor all around me, I saw a whole city on fire. And it was an old city and there were like church steeples burning. Everything was burning. And all of a sudden I knew that I was in Dresden during the firebombing. World War II. And and I started running in place. I was completely bilocated. I thought I was there. I started running in place and screaming, I'm on fire. I'm in Dresden. I'm on fire. And so all the other remote viewers are stopping their sessions going, what the hell is going on with this guy? <laughs> and, um, and I get my feedback, right? And it was the firebombing of Dresden. So that was a like an astral projection moment, you know, where I completely bilocated and my sense is that um, that is what would be equivalent to astral projection within remote viewing. Now, one thing that happened when I got back from all that was there were um, burn marks on me. So I had on my neck and on my face, and the other viewers were poking at me and going, what the heck happened there? I, burn marks that went away after about 15 minutes. So, you know, it makes you question – if if that happens and you know did somebody see a ghost running down the street at that point in time in Dresden World War 2 somebody screaming i'm in Dresden i'm on fire because of the the effect that it that i had from it you've got to wonder how much of an effect or how much you can be seen if that does occur somewhere else i was just sitting here i was wondering that was actually one of the questions that was was coming up if can you um be caught, so to speak, being somewhere that you're not supposed to be. Yeah. Now, yeah, you can. So this is an interesting subject. This is something that I've been um, working on myself because there are many stories of remote viewers viewing locations that are classified. For in Area 51, Daz Smith, for instance, he's a very, very good remote viewer, uh, lives in England, and he had this experience where he was remote viewing Area 51, and he got to a certain level, and then he got blocked by um, a being, not a human, but another being came in and blocked him. And we've experienced the same. So we've had the experience uh, many times when we view – for instance, when we viewed Skinny Bob. There's a video called Skinny Bob. Uh, that old uh, – it's a Russian, supposedly a leak of an alien. So when we remote viewed that, uh, we were able to get in a bit until this being began to block us. Um, we were annoying it and basically sends the remote viewers to a different scene. Like the remote viewers started to describe just uh, a boat on a lake, you know, a happy scene. That's all they would – that's all he would do. But he was letting the viewers know beforehand that he was getting annoyed with all the viewing on him. Um, there have been times where remote viewers 
in viewing bases, purported underground bases, whether on this planet or other ones, where they'll hear alarms, and then they will get blocked. There have also been times where viewers have said they've gotten visited by reptilians, right? For instance, if they viewed something reptilian, it was before my time. I never viewed that stuff, so I can't say for sure. So now you think about it, and there's got to be some kind of mechanism um, that can pick up a remote viewer. I know myself, um, we've done experiments um, where we've had remote viewers viewing somebody in order to understand the physical sensations. And I know those sensations. I know when somebody's viewing me, and a lot of viewers do know that. But outside of that, you know, is there any technology that can pick a viewer up? So I've been working with um, um, very sensitive uh, uh, static, uh, static electricity meters uh, actually building them myself and running experiments um, to see if that picks up the field of remote viewer. And there, it, it, it looks like there is a very – it's so slight, and I need more sensitive instrumentation in order to really be clear about it. But it looks like there's a pathway there to try to identify it. Now, you know, I'm reinventing the wheel because here we are in the civilian world, and, you know, I'm sure this stuff has been investigated. seems like it has been. It's all classified. Um, I do know that Ingo Swan, who developed remote viewing, they did some experiments on plants. So they hooked up uh, like a, a EEG um, or EKG or a monitor on plants, and they remote viewed the plants. And when they remote viewed the plants, the needles started reacting. So the plants were reacting to being remote viewed. So we do know. On some level, um, there are ways to actually find out when there's a remote viewer within a field. <laughs> it's just my, I mean, it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I, where do you go from there? I, <laughs> what kind of questions do you ask? It's hard. <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's really hard because I'm sitting here listening and trying to process, not necessarily worried about the next question that's coming. Uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned remote viewing. Um, Mars, uh, is it harder or is it just the same? It's it's actually easier. For whatever reason, I do, I have this experience where when I'm remote viewing on other planets, it's a lot clearer than it is on Earth. And I see that with other remote viewers as well. Um, Mars is, is relatively easy. Things are a lot clearer. Uh, I, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of psychic noise uh, here on this planet with all the humans. Uh, when you get to other locations, less psychic noise, less gets in the way. Um, so we have a fun, good time on Mars or the moon. Um, Mars is a fascinating place to view. There was a, a time when we were mapping out uh, Cydonia region uh, and other anomalies that we, you know, we've seen on this satellite photography um, just to see if they're, you know, natural landforms or something artificially constructed. You know, that's, that's the first thing that a remote viewer will identify uh, is whether something is a natural landform or an artificial structure. And what was amazingly fascinating to me was, you know, this was a long time ago when we began this project. It was, you know, I didn't think too much of Mars back then. I, I You know, 
conspiracies here and there. It's it's the dawn of the internet more or less. And now you know this this stuff is everywhere. But back then it wasn't so much, and I didn't think about it that much. You know, I was open to it. You know, but so we you know engaged in a project to look at the face on Mars. You know, that big structure uh, landform. So the way we task something like that is just to get an image of it, circle it in red, and the tasker will write describe this feature. That's it. So they're given the eight-digit number, and they run through the methodology, and every single remote viewer comes back with an artificial structure, and then they just start to describe red sand, lots of sand. They describe massive columns with cuneiform on them, very reminiscent of the Maya, um, abandoned location. Uh, It's the mouth of a huge city, basically. And pottery, shards, um, some skeletons laying around, wind-blown landscape. I mean, they're there 100%. And they're nailing um, the features of, of, of this place, you know, from session to session to session. So, you know, you get that data back and you're like, wow, you know, wow, this is unbelievable. Because when you've been working in remote viewing and you're doing it for counter-terror, you're doing it for corporations, and they trust you and they act on your data, and then you apply it, the same methodology that you use with them, to give them good answers to you know, figuring out what's going on Mars, you're, you're convinced, right? I mean, it's amazing. So Mars used to be, you know, we looked at it in the past as well. Oh, there's a really interesting uh, declassified document that the CIA put out. It's in their uh, files on, you know, I don't really like to go into their website, but <laughs> I, I did for this. Um, in their files of a remote viewing uh, of Mars, which is a really fascinating little session. Um, I should dig that up and send it to you just so you can look at it. But um, They come to Mars yeah, side enough. I mean, what? <laughs> yeah, right. I know. <laughs> it's only fair we return the favor once in a while. Uh, yeah, right? I know. Yeah. <laughs> so I've got two a uh, little bit lighter questions at this moment, and then we'll shift back, and then we'll probably – I don't know where we're going to go after that. But would you would you go to Mars? So, you know, like uh, Elon Musk is talking about, you know, sending a bunch of people. Well, you know, I, I – I honestly would not want to go in one of these weird controlled programs that you have no idea who's really behind it. Um, you know, I'm a little paranoid of that, um, but I would go of my own accord if I could make it. <laughs> I like I like my indoor plumbing a little too much, though. Just, right. For the record, maybe not the first ones, maybe not the second ones, but by the fifth or sixth round, I might be okay. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I th- I know they're they're having fun with us, but uh, do you ever lose a game of Battleship? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, you know I, it's Does funny. Does anybody play Battleship anymore? That's all. Oh, that's all right. I should let you answer your first question first. Yeah, that's dated, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, that, that's an awesome game though. Um, Risk that was a good game too. Um, you know, it's funny. It's a, I don't. It's like I don't really consider myself to be psychic, and it's often that I just I I don't even use. The psychic functioning in my 
day-to-day life as much as I should, I really use it within remote viewing. Obviously, I mean, my whole life is remote viewing, so I do a lot of work. I do a lot of sessions. uh, I do a lot of projects and analysis and stuff like that. So I'm typically in remote viewing all the time, but, you know, I'm – I'm a an open, honest person, and I wouldn't cheat. So no, I wouldn't use it for battleship. <laughs> and, and for those poor kids out there, you need to play the classic, you know, plastic shell case battleship, not some app. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Just for the record, not like. Yeah. And people, they're like, they, I don't even know if they still make that. That'd be, anyways, not to be sidetracked by something so trivial. But anyways, how about remoting remote viewing like? Uh, Things inside of people, like uh, tumors or cancers, is that doable or am I pushing it too far? No, I mean, there's a whole facet of medical remote viewing. Um, and I do train people in that. It's, you know, it's it's one of those things that when you do do it for people, it's for entertainment purposes only. Right, <laughs> um, well, of course. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Huge disclaimer on it. Um, it it's, it's, it's helpful you have to be somebody who's who's very into that medical side. Um, I have found it, it can be hit or miss with a regular remote viewer. And then you'll find somebody who is in the medical field that wants to do it, like a chiropractor, for instance. And they excel at it like you wouldn't believe. And, you know, the way we do it usually is that we do body scans um, and then we do anatomical. So we'll start to feel something uh, in a person in a certain area, and then we'll go in deeper with um, anatomy charts to identify uh, problem areas and what's going on. It is, it is, it is pretty accurate. Um, but you know, it, it's one of those things that you know, it's like remote viewing has always been used to back up real world intelligence. Um, and you know, you wouldn't go cutting into yourself because a remote viewer told you got a tumor there, right? <laughs> in a sense, you wouldn't want to do that. I'm not sure I'm um, cutting myself if a right. doctor told me to, but I go ahead, finish your point. Well, well, you don't have that, like, self-home medical book, how to do home surgery? Come on, man. Well, you know, the last name's Mauer, and I've heard a lot about quackery through the years, but that's a whole other case. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, so basically, you know, there's there are a lot of people these days with mystery illnesses, and we're asked quite a bit if we can help out with that to try and identify what's going on so that they can bring new ideas to the doctor uh, that they're working with. And and it can be helpful that way for sure. I'd have to imagine. So. Now, this, again, is one of these hypothetical questions. Do you think it'd be easier with the person in the room or is that a barrier that I'm just putting in there or just to put in there? Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. They can be anywhere, anywhere in, in space-time continuum. makes no difference. Yeah. You know, think about this, too. You know, if you can um, remote view uh, inside a person, you can also send them energy. So there's the remote healing aspect as well. Uh, you know, you, you never know if it ultimately works, but there have been reports that people do feel the sensation of receiving energy. Um, and we do that a lot with remote viewing as well. Yeah, I've had some, what is that, Reiki, where the distance healer tried to yeah. do some stuff. on. Like, you could see me pointing to my shoulder. Um, that's always <laughs> good radio right there, Jim. That's good. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you uh, got to move this to YouTube. Well, it's there, but you still can't see it. Those five people looking on YouTube are like, yeah, he's pointing to his shoulder. Say shoulder, you idiot. Uh, <laughs> um. 
another chatter question here. Do you believe in ghosts in that other dimension or no? Well, it, you know, it's it it's not a matter of believing in it. It's 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 been my experience that there are a lot of energies, um, you know, whether we call them ghosts or not that are in existence that have some form of consciousness uh, in a realm that's beyond our five senses, uh, physical senses. And you, you find it with remote viewing. I mean, I've been, I've been harassed by things uh, that occupy um, a different realm uh, that you can't see during remote viewing sessions, physically grabbed and stuff like that. Uh, if they have something to do with the session. And I do see things also. I can see uh, see things in that realm, not just with my eyes, but with feeling. You know, it's more sometimes things pop before my eyes, but more with sensing and feeling. Um, so, yeah, there is – I would say that I know of ghosts more than believe in them because of my interactions with them. Uh, and also knowing that, you know, remote viewing itself is, is this, we use it here in the third dimension, but we sort of traverse through the fourth and other dimensions to get our information. So it's kind of a fourth dimensional skill. And a lot of remote viewers report that when they begin remote viewing, they start getting things visiting them. They feel things. They will see things. And in fact, there's this one being that shows up quite often to people. Sometimes they'll see it. Sometimes they'll see it in the mind's eye. But it's continually reported that after somebody gets trained in remote viewing, somebody will come along and this man and tip their hat to them wearing this big black hat. And this is a denizen of another dimension. So, yeah, you know, I, I've experienced a lot of that and I feel a lot of that. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit here, is there any per- <laughs> proven commercial applications for remote viewing? Like, because you mentioned earlier uh, future products, but like currently, like as people look for oil or gas or gold or any of these riches that that are in the ground. Yeah, we um, you know, we sometimes work with mining companies. Um, we've done that before. Um, I don't know what people are doing with it these days as far as the commercial applications go. I think what happens ultimately is that um, they slide deep under the surface when it comes to that. When we were doing a lot of work with corporations uh, in the past, they always wanted a backdoor deal, and we dealt with the CEO. And we had non-disclosures on most of them um, or no paperwork at all. Uh, because they just did not want anybody to know, you know. Um, so, you know, I know that there are people out there that are doing work, especially in the financial realm, uh, but it's just not talked about much. Financial is a is a pretty good realm to work uh, with re- with regard to remote viewing. I wish somebody would have contacted those people on uh, the the at the gas company that did a well across the way here. Um, oh yeah, it's happening. <laughs> Uh, they built a pipeline that was too small for the, the amount of gas the, kit, the well was going to ah. produce. Oh, so man. they had to actually end up capping it, and now they're trying yeah. to you know get the pipeline built so they can get the gas out of there. It's it's yeah. kind of ironic if you ask me. Why would you? Do you know? Oh yeah, yeah. 
Not quite. Well, yeah, I mean, not a lot of people believe in this. You know, when you get into the application science world and this and that, it's just they just don't believe in it. Um, so it, it's, it's just – it's one of these things that it's going to grow into people's consciousness. I mean the military, the you know intelligence services created this methodology, and so it does have some kind of backing. And it, 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 it does turn heads because it does produce good information. But people have to get over that hump of, you know, the, the woo-woo-ness of it, you know? I mean, even though it's not. So I've got, I've got to direct something to my chatters here because this is just ridiculous to me. Does anybody else's chat room clock down at the bottom of the page show 1013? Because it's 947 here Eastern Time now. And the other clock that I get, you know, that I'm looking at because it's dead center in the middle of my screen says 1013. For some not apparent reason, because it's not even the wrong time zone, it's just the wrong time, which doesn't make any sense to me. Sorry. End my rant. Huh. <laughs> it's not doing UTC time. It's uh Actually I have it set to do Eastern and they're saying no, there's all say nine forty five. Huh. That's fun. Where's that at? There's my phone, but we'll be tweeting that out later. That's fun. Uh <laughs> sorry. Just I mean Live radio, I guess, and it's fine. It's there. It's just ridiculous that it said. Yeah. It's what is that? That's ridiculous. Anyways, um, where can people? What, give me the website and social media stuff for you, so people can find you before I forget to do that. Oh yeah, it's um, righthemispheric.com, and you know most of the stuff I'm doing more on YouTube actually. So YouTube, right hemispheric. You just search for right hemispheric, you'll find me there. Um, Facebook as well. Um, I go dark quite a bit, so I, you know, pop up every once in a while, put a bunch of stuff out, then I drop back down. Um, it gets so busy. I mean, this is a crazy month too. In fact, tomorrow I'm heading out to teach a four-day class out at a place called East Eddy Ranch in Washington State. Actually, this is a cool place. It's um, a lot of UFO sightings, anomalous lights on the mountains. So it's a great venue to teach remote viewing. As I said, that, that venue sounds familiar for me, but I couldn't place it. And I think probably one, I probably heard some of those stories that you just mentioned. So, yeah, that place is just, it's, it's insane. I mean, all these lights start flashing on the mountain. Um, you know, we did a bunch of projects on that, uh, determine whether it was like campers or piezoelectric sort of discharge from compressed quartz in the granite or, or whatever, and um, yeah, we were getting some very, very bizarre things. Um, very bizarre. Um, I don't know if you want me to go. Into yeah, go, like go into it. I, I, I'm thinking we've got ten minutes left. Should I push the bizarre? Or should I? Uh, well, let's go for it. <laughs> well, this is a really weird one because you know, I mean, we do view, um, you know, purported UFO events and whatnot now. You know, that stuff out there, no idea. We have viewed things before, like in Joshua Tree National Monument, that people claim to be an alien. And we find out with our remote viewing that it's a piezoelectric discharge because of all that compressed granite. So, you know, I kind of figured that was kind of what's happening out there. But nope, we don't get that. So when these lights are forming on the mountain, um, at least in part, now this does not cover every single light on the mountain event, but the stuff that we were looking at. So we get this this light that begins to shape it 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 moves in the pattern of a star right so it's it's 
very highly energetic, some type of process that I have no idea about what, how it's occurring, and neither do the remote viewers. Um, they explain it as this star shape beginning to form and spinning, and there's a being associated with it. The being is creating this star shape. That the being merges with it and flies around. And so one of the reports, and I've seen this as well, is that these things will fly off the mountain. You know, they'll form, they'll sometimes go out. Uh, most of the time they'll go out, sometimes they'll fly off the mountain. And that, according to our data, is this being that created it is merging with it and using it to fly around, move around in. So when you get into the beings, as far as descriptions and what they look like, the the remote viewers all describe them as being very feline in appearance and very large. So now we're getting into this whole other realm that is absolutely foreign to me because, you know, when we remote view this stuff, we usually get, you know, these big-headed, bug-eyed guys um, that are, you know, searching for genetic material. They're uh, collecting samples of things. They're in, They're kind of like, survival mode you know um as opposed to what this is totally different something totally different so then we were trying to understand why this is occurring there and we find this you know with mountains where the data that we have and then you can back it up with um, maps that there are magnetic anomalies among other factors but one of the big ones is a magnetic anomaly where you have a complete dropout of magnetism next to a intense increase of magnetism. And in those areas, you have what the viewers describe as gates. And these gates can go to other locations, other dimensions. Sounds insane. But in these areas where you have a lot of strange activity, like Mount Shasta, for instance, same kind of weird stuff going on there, you find the same kind of data where you have these openings, in a sense, where things come in and out. So, you know, that is, in a nutshell, what is going on there, among other things. And, you know, I'm not saying that every single light on the mountain is that, but a proportion of them are. So, last revo- remote viewing question for, like, can can this use to be... to proc- uh, prognosticate, I almost said procrastinate, uh, like uh, weather events like hurricanes, earthquakes. Well, especially earthquakes because you can't really necessarily predict them like as you could a hurricane, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you can um, – yes, you can do that. You can do predictive events. The thing with predictive events, though, is that events are not set uh, in stone. And, you know, <laughs> one thing that we found when we were viewing um, – the FBI wanted us to do counterterror after 9-11, and so we did that. And One thing they wanted to know was future terrorist attacks on U.S. soil. So we'd be viewing these things, and you know, uh, they would change. You know, Now, of course, they're acting on information, lots of different information, but these things would change. And one thing that we found out was that n- time, the way time and events move – the source of time and events doesn't even know the outcome of events because things can shift them. And especially when you remote view these things, because think of it at, like the double slit experiment where um, just the observation of either particle or wave um, can change the outcome of the experiment. 
And when you remote view, you're going into that quantum realm, uh, and you become the observer who can actually affect the outcome of the event uh, just by viewing it. So there's a funky thing with viewing the future. The closer you get to it, you know, the, the, the tighter it is, and so the more likely you can hit the outcome correctly. But you find a lot of these long-term outcomes, you, you can get a facet of it, but or completely it won't even happen, uh, even though you viewed it. You did a lot of viewing on it. So, so there is an issue with time. There is an issue with future. So, I've got uh, as we've got what, what four minutes left. Oh, good grief! This hour went way too fast, as usual. Um, I like to end with a little rapid fire, a little fun stuff, just because that way we don't have to get in the middle of something dramatically serious. And well, right. you know, cut it mid story. <laughs> and then the alien turned to him and said, "Oh, well, we're out of time." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um, if you. Any anywhere in the world that you haven't been, where would you like to go? Remote viewing wise, or no, physic- physically, like actually go lay hands on it. Oh man, there's a place in Bali, the King's. Um, what call it? Oh, the King's. Oh, I can't remember. It's the King's something or other. But but we viewed this location, and it's older than anybody even believes it to be and i really want to go there this is in bali uh, i gotta look up the name the king's Horses? something around no Man. i don't think that was it it's in this it's it's carved out of this uh volcanic uh rock and there are these temples carved into the side of the wall i want to go there because the place is older than they claim it to be also um aramumuru in near lake titicaca where there's a, a false door. That has to be on my bucket list for sure. Uh, favorite favorite music, or I don't necessarily, you can give me a couple artists or, you know, you don't have to give you like uh, whatever one song. You can just kind of lay it out there. Oh, I like uh, Gregory Allen Isakoff, uh, Bon Iver. I like a lot of that um, sort of alternative folk, folky kind of stuff. Yeah. That's my favorite genre. Gonna so say you're getting earthy sounding there. Uh, you know, it's kind of earthy, but it's not. It's sort of like, you know, this sort of um, traveling from town to town vibe, um, noticing things that are different than other people notice that that other most people don't notice, and they sing about that. So yeah, it is kind of like I guess it is a little bit earthy. Yeah. Kind of weird because that's kind of what we just spent the last hour talking about. Yeah. Huh. Hmm. huh. Weird. Weird. Strange. Who knew? <laughs> a favorite author a favorite author Philip K. Dick absolutely 100% one of my favorites he um, you know Minority Report he remote viewed every single thing that he wrote about Minority Report is actually about remote viewers and we actually do a style of remote viewing like that it's funny you know those guys in the tanks yeah it's funny because um, every there's a film festival in his honor, and every so often I have the director on my show, so it's it's fun to bring these yeah. things synchronous synchronicity back around together. So, yeah, absolutely. Um, free people dead or alive for dinner? Oh man! Well, basically, I think. Um, 
Does it have to be a person? No. Because I've met some really bizarre creatures through remote viewing contact experiences. Oh, okay. I'd like to have a a gray alien with right. Jesus and Jesus. That would be interesting. <laughs> and hmm, one other person. How about Frederick Nietzsche? That might be a good one. That might be a that's a good one. Okay. Hey John. Seriously. Yeah. Run out of time. Thanks, man. It's been a pleasure. We'll have to do it again. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> Loved it. Okay, and end up that call. Check me out tomorrow night on ParanormalKing.com with The King at 8 p.m. Eastern, everybody. Have a good night. The views and opinions expressed on the Mallard Report are those of the host and participants. For past shows, social media links, and so much more, visit Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D dot com And thanks for listening. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates, Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, Each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from.